Welcome, welcome. Episode 53, the uh, Herbie Lovebug sponsored edition. Um, uh, actually, not sponsored edition, but number 53 for all you folks out there that are older than uh, than 25 or 30 years old. 53 was stamped on that beautiful little Herbie Lovebug. And so what we're doing is we're actually sharing the love a little bit with the podcast this week. At the beginning of the season, we ran the, the Pacific Division preview, had everybody from uh, SB Nation come on and talk about their respective team in the Pacific, made our predictions. Obviously, everybody was low on the Suns. We don't take it personal. We were low on the Suns as well. <laughs> but uh, as you hear him laughing in the background, this is Chris Habis writing solo. This is part one of episode 53. We have Nate Parham from Golden State of Mind as well as Swish Appeal. He's on here. We're going to talk some Pacific Division in particular Golden State Warriors, Phoenix Suns, and two phenomenal point guards. How are you doing today, Nate? I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Doing good. Doing good. That uh, that intro, believe it or not, straight off the top of the head. Not planned at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and one of the more over-the-top ones that I think I've ever done. But, that was great. <laughs> yeah, so it, well, speaking of great, so I want to kind of talk about, let's just dive right into this. I know we got a full slate of basketball on right now. You know, we, I'm sure we both have TVs on and we're watching games to an extent. Yeah. But here we are Tuesday night. We're February, or sorry, we're in March now, March the 4th, 2014, and the Phoenix Suns and the Golden State Warriors are presumed playoff teams. Golden State just a touch ahead of the Suns right now, but they're pretty much all neck and neck. How are you feeling about this Warrior season? We've talked off and on throughout the season. How are you feeling about it so far? Yeah, you know, I'm feeling frustrated, to be honest, Uh, only because they're just so inconsistent. You see these moments where, you know, they look like a championship contender, and then you see moments where they're... um, you know, struggling to put away Detroit, um, even if it's on the road. So, uh, and actually, I was at the game when they they lost the Bobcats at home, which was just uh, an important performance. So, you know, it's like some days you can really feel really hopeful. I think that you know, right now it's it's hard to know what to think. Um, I think the West is probably more competitive, as you mentioned, with the Suns being up there, right behind the Warriors at seventh. Um, I think this the and then Portland doing what they've done this season. I, I think that the West has been more competitive than everybody expected, and uh, the Warriors are probably one of the casualties of that. Um, and injuries have certainly hurt, but part of it is, you know, slow starts, poor bench play, and just, you know, amazingly inconsistent um, across the board. So, I don't know. It's, it's a fun roller coaster, and they're going to probably make the playoffs, which, you know, I should be more excited because you've waited decades. We've made waited decades for them to put consecutive playoff berths together, and they're probably going to do that. But um, yeah, it's it's hard to hard to watch some nights. When you talk about the bench, one thing that stands out, and we can also probably throw this on the Clippers and uh, and a few other teams out in the Western mm-hmm. Conference that aren't at the top mm-hmm. of the top. They went out there and they they made some moves. I like the Steve Blake mm-hmm. signing. I, I like you know bringing in guys like Marshawn Brooks and Jordan Crawford. You know they brought but. Mm-hmm. It's very reminiscent to what the Clippers are doing, which is loading up the backcourt and kind of leaving the front court for it is what it is. We'll play small ball. We'll be able to rely on Bogut and pretty much small forwards to play the power forward in crunch time. David Lee, obviously, you know, interchanging in there. How, how did you feel about those transactions and kind of boosting the bench with that perimeter play? Well, you know, actually, I mean, when you talk about offseason transactions, I mean, one that's been big for the team off the bench is Jermaine O'Neal, you know, who was with you guys with the Suns. Uh, previously, and I think he's been one of the biggest bright spots off the bench this year, defensively, and you know some games even offensively. I think they just need that; they need the steady veteran leadership that I think he provides. And you know, there's so many games where they talk about him being a spark. Him, there was that one game against Toronto where they talked about him being 
you know, being the one who stepped up in the locker room to say something at halftime to get them fired up. And so he's, he's been a huge plus. So I think the front court bench, you know, I, I think you're right that they, that was the biggest concern, losing Landry and how are they gonna, how they were going to replace him. Um, but with J- Draymond Green, they can put there at the four as well. Um, you know, Lee's been in and out with injuries. Boca's been there, and then O'Neal's been there. They've been playing Spates, obviously. Uh, Maurice Spates is a, an experience. But, you know, the, the bigger problem is actually been um, guard play and perimeter play. Uh, Harrison Barnes has been inconsistent this year. I mean, there are games where he was basically invisible. Uh, the reason why they went from Tony Douglas to uh, Marshawn Brooks for a while before Today's more to now Steve Blake is because they weren't getting good point guard play off the bench, uh, and so you you get really and if Clay Thompson's having an off night, really you got Steph Curry, and uh, you know Iguodala has you know as of <laughs> as of last game he was shooting you know below ten percent from the three point line since the All Star break. I mean so the the perimeter has been actually a, a major. I'd say that, that nationally everybody was probably most excited about the Warriors perimeter, but they've been actually one of the sources of disappointment, I think, so far. So uh, the offseason, they had to do something to replace Jack and Landry, and I think they, I think Myers made attempts. I think everybody expected something more out of Douglas. Uh, people were hoping maybe we were just fan, fanboys, but we were hoping for more from Baysmore this year. Didn't get it. Nedovich has not produced. So, uh that's that's they missed on the on the on the perimeter bench this year big time so for sure and yeah one of the and i wanted to ask you about kent baysmore a guy who i followed from you know old dominion to the workouts to the pros to you know the bottom of the benches and being able to get on rosters how big of an emotional loss was that for just you in general seeing him leave the team and go to the lakers you you know i think it's it's interesting you you ask that because i I think with baysmore When you're when you're a team that has not been in the playoffs for a very long time, you start to latch on to a guy like that, who's just a fun guy to root for, constantly brings energy and works hard, and has this great story of perseverance. Right? When you start to get, I think what happened for the with the fan base, a lot of a lot of for a lot of people, it's like so now we're a playoff contender and we need we need contributors. He's not a contributor. I think a lot of fans turned on him really quickly, and and just said, you know, this guy's not a point guard. He's not a good enough shooter to be a shooting guard. But you know, I I think. You watch sports. I think I personally watch sports and enjoy sports most for guys like that. Yeah, I, I can point to probably hundreds of guys in the NBA who I would not want to root for, and that's the guy I, I you know, he steps on the court and as a fan. You want to root for that guy. You want him to do well, even if he's in the D League in Santa Cruz. You know, it's fun seeing him down there and playing well and, and just playing hard. You know, and just enjoying the game. Uh, so that sucked. I, I think it sucked because he was such a big part of the of the like you said, the emotional experience of last year and then this year just uh he didn't turn a corner for the Warriors. You know, he had a great first game with the Lakers. I haven't followed him as much since, but uh yeah, I think it's a loss for, for a fan. For just a fan of, of sports. I think it has to be a loss. Definitely, yeah. I think those are all super fair points, the criticisms as well as the compliments. I yeah. I mean he's a summer league stud, you know, goes out there, dominates yeah. in summer league, and then you know, you play behind Steph Curry and Clay Thompson yeah. and, and those cats so you're not gonna get a lot of burn a lot of playing right. time, but he's a likable dude. Yeah, he's absolutely. And when you get a chance to talk to him, it makes him even more likable, not just the what he does on the bench and waving the towels around and being an exciting guy on the bench. But right. so to talk about guys that are really relevant. So you, I think it would be fair to say that the Suns and the Warriors right now have 
I don't care where you rank them or how people personally feel, but easily I think that there's two of the top 10 MVP candidates are on each of these teams. With Steph Curry, you're in there, you're in the you're in the inside of it, you have the fan emotion, you have the coverage, you're close to it. How much of of his game or do the Warriors rely on? How much of his game do you think translates to being an MVP candidate? Wow. Uh, yeah, there's so many games where he bails them out with his shooting or he gets close to it. Uh, yeah, and, you know, MVPs are hard. I, I think for this team, his value to this team is, is that, you know, he's he's the one guy they have who becomes at times unguardable. You know, I mean, if, he, if he's going to pull up, <laughs> you could not five to seven feet behind the line, behind the arc, and shoot threes. I mean, you just you're not going to guard that. And you see, it's funny because you see defenders, you know, coming back in transition, they're they're backpedaling like kind of casually, like they're going to wait till he gets to the three point line to stop him, and then they suddenly remember they're guarding Steph Curry, and he's already launched the shot. And that's just me that I think it keeps defenses off balance. And even in the Detroit game, you know, where he uh, he you know it was. In that game, he was like the only guy to produce offense in the fourth quarter, and and I think you just you can't underestimate the value of that uh, of being able to just generate offense out of nothing when the team seems to go stagnant, um, and especially the number of young guys that they have who do go stagnant so often. Um, so you know, I think I think that on the offensive end, it's just the ability to shoot. The defensive end, he's better than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Um, he he makes the kind of the, the crafty smart plays. Uh, he's not going to be an all defensive can all defensive team candidate, but he's not that. I think a lot of people thought he was just you know a revolving door defensively. And he's definitely not that either. So I, I that's where you can see he's getting the triple doubles. I mean he's focused on he's able to get the rebounds. He's able to get what he needs um, as a scorer, and he's able to do what he needs to set up players. Uh, I think he's a he's a complete player right now. Uh, I was telling someone the other day, though, that he's just not Durant, right? I mean, he's not the consistently. I don't. I don't say this to mean he's inconsistent, but he's not the guy who uh, can impose his will on the game the way a Durant, Dwight Howard, uh, those guys at their best can. Uh, so I think he's just a, a notch below the the best of the best elite. But he's he's right there, and this team uh, would not be. Hey, I'd, I'd say I'd shave easily five to ten games off their record without him. I'm looking at, and this is just strictly going off of just the top scorers in the league, because um, obviously those guys are the guys that can get hot and become unguardable. But when you when I watch Stephen Curry play, not, you know the Madison Square Garden performance, his triple doubles, his forty point games, there might be seven, eight, and you could probably talk me into maybe one or two more than that. But there's only like seven or eight guys in this league that are truly, when they get into that transcendent moment of their game, are truly unguardable. And I oh, think yeah. Stephen Curry is one of those guys. I mean, we know who right. most of them are. You mentioned Durant. You got your Carmelos, your LeBrons. I'll throw right. James Harden, Kevin Love into that category. You know, you can maybe talk me into like Dirk and, and uh, Kyrie Irving on certain nights. But there's only a handful of guys that are truly unguardable when they're hitting, you know, the strides right. like Steph can. That's why I just, when you watch his game and the evolution, as you mentioned, not a bad defender, just not a great defender. The point guard right. position is so athletic that it's hard to judge a guy's merit based on defense anyway because you're guarding Russell Westbrook one night, Kyrie Irving the next, and then Isaiah Thomas after that, and all three right. of those guys are completely different players. So, right. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I think that with Steph Curry, I don't know, I just, maybe as an outsider looking in, I get to appreciate his game versus critiquing it based on team success and inconsistencies and watching them lose. So I get to sit back and enjoy his game. What, how are you feeling about Goran Dragic this season, watching him from afar like I get to watch Steph? You know, I, I think, I can't remember exactly how many he had against the Warriors last time. Uh, <laughs> part of that is because I recall turning off my TV. Uh but I, I think he lit up the Warriors pretty good like, the first time they played, and uh, you know he's really he's really developed into a player who I think I think like Steph I think what what I think what I think Steph is underappreciated for is his ability to create for others. I, I think Dragic might be still a little underappreciated for his ability to to create for himself, and I I could just be making that up, but I think I think his rep around the league around casual fans, you know, he's not going to get the buzz that some of these other guys get. Uh, like the the other guys you mentioned, the the Westbrooks, Pauls, Currys of the world, but he he's right up there. I think what what always impressed me about him was balance. Uh, from the day he came in the league, I, I just thought his balance on the dribble was amazing, um, and, and that gets you a long way when you when you can stay on balance and make plays. Same thing people said about Jeremy Lin before he kind of fell off, but um, I like Dragic. He, he's great in the pick and roll. Uh, and so there's a lot you can do with a player like that, with a point guard like that who can score, distribute. And um, do the different things for you that you need offensively, rather than just being a one-dimensional guy. I think the league has moved so far away from pure point guards now that uh, you need the guys to score. And I think that's the step that me, just from outsider, I think that's the step that Dragic took as a scorer this year. For sure, and I, I like the balancing that you brought up because that just immediately cues hearing uh, Greg Popovich talk about how Goran Dragic reminds him of a lot of Manu Ginobili but with like a dash of Steve Nash. Like he's he's got that point guard ability. He can he can pass it. What's amazing about Goran is like if you watch him play, he's actually a pinpoint amazing passer and he does a great job creating for others, but that balance like you mentioned, he's one of the best finishers in the league. He yep. does great with angles. He he stole a lot of stuff from Steve obviously and uh you know learned some stuff from other guys around the league and he's just one of those just really crafty guys and We've right. been we've been able to appreciate him out here, and it's hard to critique him because everything the Suns do is just you know it's extra. You know that once yeah. they won their nineteenth twentieth game, everything has been extra. So yeah. as as they go on, it's really hard to even critique anything that even Goran does because right. you know what it's this is not all expected. So yeah, yeah. yeah well, and with, you know, I, I think I think Warriors fans last year were in that mood of Curry. I think this year people are harping on every little mistake he's making. Sometimes I, I think the big debate still with some media members around here is whether he's point guard at all, which I, I can only laugh at because I think, you know, I, I, it's just a, it's a ridiculous discussion to have about whether Stephen Curry's a point guard at this point. And yes, he plays well off the ball. Yes, he scores a lot, but his ability to create off the dribble and his ability to see the floor and know when to call on his own number and know when to set up others is amazing. And, and um, if you, again, if you're trying to defend someone who can come down the court and launch the ball from anywhere, I mean, it's, it's almost an impossible guard when he's when he's on, and I think uh, it just opens up everything else for every, for everyone else on the floor. I think it's helped Clay Thompson immensely. I, I just I don't know what Clay Thompson would be on another squad, um, not opposite or or alongside Curry. So, uh, you know, if I had a vote, I'd vote him MVP. I'm a little biased on that. <laughs> uh, Durant's obviously having a great season, so I'm not going to take away from that. But Curry's been amazing for this team. Yeah, and I I think you kind of bring up a fair point, and not to go too outside of Pacific Division, but there is really no true quote unquote point guard. I mean, there are true point guards still, but the position in and of itself is playmaker. It's not point guard anymore. Right. 
So you have LeBron, right. you have LeBron James. You put the ball in the best player's hands that's right. going to be able to make a play. LeBron has the ball. Kevin Durant has the ball. Paul George has the ball. Goran, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, Dirk Nowitzki. It doesn't matter. Tim Duncan. Like it doesn't matter if you're seven foot six one six eight. If you're a forward or a guard, it's just you put the ball in your best playmaker's hand. And thank you, Eric Spolstra and the Miami Heat from four years ago when you put this roster together. There are no positions in basketball. It's playmakers, athletes, and role players. And it all mushes together to make championship teams. And a few teams are ahead of the curve. And other teams are still trying to figure it out and put together a a one, two, three, four, and a five and benches. And this is not NBA 2K10 anymore. You know, we've got to get kind of on board with this positionless basketball. It's it's a new brand. It's amazing basketball to watch. Too. I mean, I miss my old post players and that great yeah. traditional style, but I also love watching what they're doing today. Well, and you, you, you mentioned post players. I mean, it's, it's really the lack of the lack of low post players. You know, guys you can throw it to in the block are going to turn and score consistently. It's really the, the the decline in that that's allowed these uh, that makes the need for a pure point guard I think less than it was before. Um, but I just think the discussion gets kind of silly after a while, and you know, if you can bring the ball up the court and make decisions and make plays, uh, we shouldn't be, you know, trying to take you out of the point guard designation. And it's just, it's like you said, it's irrelevant now. I think we still just have some people who are hanging on to the old labels because they want to or something. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And so I want to. You mentioned bring the ball up court and make plays. I'm going to put you on the spot real quick, and you know, if you have the internet, you'll be able to answer this. But um, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who name for me every point guard in the NBA? There's not many of them that are averaging at least twenty a night and at least five a night in terms of assists. Can you can you name off all of them? I'm going to tell you that there's six. Um, so I have to assume Chris Paul. No, twenty and twenty and five. Twenty and five. Oh, twenty and five. Yeah, minimum. Wow, I actually do not know the answer to that question off the top of my head. All right, so I'm going to give you. The non-Pacific Division guys, you have Kyrie Irving, you have Damian Lillard, and you have John Wall. And then it's just the Pacific Division. You have, obviously, Steph Curry putting up 20-plus and 8-plus. You have Isaiah Thomas putting up 20 and 6, and you have Goran putting up 20 and 6. Wow. I mean, and Kendall Marshall, to not take anything away from him, former sons in the Pacific Division... (laughs) is out there putting up numbers in the DN. I was joking on the last podcast saying that someone needs to come up with the PER version, that advanced stat for Mike D'Antoni's system and how it inflates stats and gets people paid. That would be an amazing stat. I need to see that. That would be an amazing metric. hasn't been done yet. Yeah. (laughs) He's been around long enough, right? But, I mean, how good is the point guard position night in and night out when you exclude the Lakers to an extent? Because you have Chris Paul, who's a magician who does like 15 and 13 or 15 and 11, and he does it in a different way. But so many great point guards in this division, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, <laughs> it's, I, I, I'm trying I'm trying my hardest not to make any jokes about the Lakers. Um, you know, L.A. Bay Area rivalry, but... Um, Go ahead, it's fine. Yeah, no, you're good. No, you know, I'm going to stop. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's funny that, you know, Baysmore went down there and people were saying he'd step in to start, but... I think, um, yeah, I think the, the fun thing about the West, I, I think the Suns are kind of what make this division a bit more fun. I, I, I didn't expect them to be this good. I didn't expect, I personally did not see Dragic being as good as he's been this year. Um, so I think that's interesting. But I think the nice thing is that you have a nice, you have a nice mix of styles. Like I think watching Curry go up against Paul is always amazing. Uh, like I said, the last time the Suns and Warriors played, I think I was. Uh, Almost throwing things, but 
it, it's it is cool to have all those guys in one division. Isaiah Thomas is a guy I saw play in college. I, I keep saying it every time. Every time I think about it, you know, he had no business being drafted as low as he was. I don't know what anybody was thinking, to be honest. It, watching that guy play at Washington and in the Pac-12, uh, I probably did not expect the way he's playing now, uh, putting putting these kind of numbers. But I clearly expected him to be a contributor, and um, I'm glad he's getting this chance because that that guy was in the Pac-12, an amazing competitor. And I, I think it's it's coming out. So, yeah, it's it's, it's fun. But I think, it's, I, think probably, I probably most appreciate Thomas only because uh, he's a Pac-12 guy in, in the division. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've, I've told the story way too many times. So listeners, rag on me in the comments if you want. But I was there draft night sitting in New Jersey, you know, a little bit away from the stage, and uh, in the second round, and literally every single pick as it happened, the former editor of Dime Magazine was sitting there next to me going, Isaiah Thomas is going next. He'll fit well with insert team A for whatever the pick was. And he kept saying that for almost 30 selections. And then when it came down to the 60th pick, I'm packing up my stuff. And he's sitting there. Isaiah gets announced. He goes berserk. He's looking at it going, you know, the Kings are the ones that got him, saying that they got a steal. He'll be starting for them in two or three years. I'm not yeah. taking credit for it. That was all him. I didn't. Right. I didn't say he was wrong. I told. I. I felt that he was a draftable guy, like in the you know yeah. beginning of the second round. But truly amazing that Mister Irrelevant, quote unquote, number sixty, uh, basically took over and has the role that a lottery pick, Jimmer Fredette, right. should have had. Right. I mean, in, in Jimmer as a whole, their story, I guess. But yeah, I think it's, it's great to see. Again, I like those. I like the underdog stories in sports. I think that's uh, is part of what makes it fun. And I think uh, he should never have been an underdog to begin with, probably. But. Uh, you know, there it is, and he's proven a lot of people wrong. For sure, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, with this point guard conference or uh, division, I should say, uh, just it's too good. I mean, imagine if Steve Nash was playing at a high level and Chris Paul wasn't hurt. It, it's just it's too good, this point guard division that they have out here. And so many different styles. When you have Goran, who's, like I said, a mix of young Steve Nash and Manu Ginobili, Steph Curry, who's just he's his own breed of, of talented player, and then you have Isaiah Thomas, who's going out there and, I, I mean, just one of the better little guys that have played the game in a really, really long time. I mean, going back to Milwaukee and Earl Boinkins and his little run of a couple of years of dominating, but Earl, Earl Boinkins was short even for Isaiah Thomas's standards. So, <laughs> so let's let's change it up a little bit. So, speaking of Earl Boinkins and guys that are five six being able to play pro ball, Swish Appeal, WNBA. I cover the yeah. Mercury out here for Brightside and SB Nation. You yeah. obviously run the whole league basically for Swish Appeal. Let's talk about the WNBA. The announcement, the one of the bigger announcements since the season ended, was that Phoenix is going to get the All-Star game, which is pretty cool because yep. I'm out here, so I'll get to go experience right. that. Um, what were your thoughts when Phoenix got it, and are any chance you're getting out here to potentially check out the game? I'm not actually making any arrangements to get out there. Um, that, I'm glad you planted that seed, though, because I'll think about it. Um, you know, number one, I think the, the big issue for a lot of fans was um, whether or not that the game should move year to year, or if it should be. I mean, it had been in Mohican Sun for a while, and then San Antonio was kind of just bouncing back and forth, and Phoenix had been, well, I can't remember what year it was in Phoenix last, but earlier, um, around 2000, I'm guessing. Um, but you know, I, think it's, I think it's good to move it around. I hope they move it around more. I think Seattle deserves it at some, time, at some point, just because, um, especially if they, you know, don't want to get too much into this, but especially if they eventually get a new arena, I think it'd be awesome, awesome for Seattle to uh, to get uh, to get the All Star game. But yeah, I, I think it's with with Griner there, with Tarazi there, uh, the fan base 
you guys have from Phoenix. I think it'll be a, a great event. Um, all-star games are what they are sometimes, but uh, I think I think this league, that's one way to help expand this, the base is to, to keep moving, especially getting, getting out to the West Coast. Should they should they Super Bowl style it or maybe like a rotation of four to five cities? Because when you look at it, you know, less teams in the league, obviously, so you don't have to, yeah, you know, get right. out to Milwaukee and, and Minnesota. Right. And, well, Minnesota you do, but, <laughs> but you don't have to get out to like Milwaukee and random places. But right. I'm wondering if they should just like central, east, west and, and kind of maybe do it that well, way or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, don't I know. think so. I, and, you know, I think, you know, something else that maybe is, uh, uh, yeah, I think going back and forth between East and West is good, just so everybody gets a shot to see the best of the best. And I think you're talking about the hard, one of the hard things about having 12 cities is that you also don't have – that means you just have less markets to even, to even build fan bases in, right, to get yeah. eyeballs on TVs. And I think that gives us all the more reason to with, with the, within the cities you have to make sure that they get to see the best of the best and understand what this game, what the product is like, and maybe get a taste of it and then check out a game later. But – uh you know, marketing the league is a is a much longer discussion that I don't think anybody has pure answers to. But for sure, uh, yeah, you know, that, to be in Phoenix. as you say that, it almost makes me. And I I thought this with arena football because um, I I know some of the guys out here with the arena football league with the Rattlers. I I almost yeah. wonder if having something like the All Star Game, not really with the the playoff series and the championship, it's you know going to the cities makes more sense because it's multiple games. But when you talk about the All Star Game, I wonder if centralized locations like putting it in Vegas, for example, which is an attraction-based place and is, you know, maybe five, six, eight hours away from a lot of places for people right. to be able to drive in and be able to go check out that event and find a place like that on the East Coast and find a place like that, like Chicago or something, kind of putting it in so, places like that. I, and I was, I was going to ha- say that. My hesitation with that is, you know, as much as the league struggles with attendance as it is, um, the worst thing that could happen is to have a game, an all-star game, and, and no one shows up because there isn't a natural fan base there. But um, Vegas is not a bad option. I mean, the, the NBA All-Star game obviously went there and had mixed results. Um, but I think I think it could be interesting to yeah. just try to mix up and get to the different cities. And again, just try to get more people looking at the product and, and learning about the product and what it, what it gives and how it's different. I and mean, it's not, it's not, you can't go into a game expecting the NBA. It's just a different game altogether. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll share just a little mini story on how I got thrust into the WNBA. Look, I'll, I'll be honest. I wasn't, I don't want to say I wasn't a fan of the league. I just wasn't, you know, watching it. My eyeballs weren't on it that much, but I was thrust feet to the fire to go cover them by SB nation. They said, Hey, get out there, go cover the games. You know, the person that covers them is heading out to Washington. Go check them out. I went out there, and the first thing you got to do, like you said, is just turn your eyes off from NBA. You just got to turn those right. blinders off. And instead of expecting fast-break dunks, just expect fast-break layups. And then after that, the skill level's there. I mean, these girls are on another level with their skill, amazing shooters. They're ve- I mean, the professionalism is off the charts with how... I mean, outside of Diana Tarazi out here, you know, you know, hopefully she's not listening to this, but uh, professionalism is really good with the players and the referees and with each other. But a whole different product, lots of skill, great shooting. I mean, there's some players like Diana Tarazi that are just going to make your jaws hit the floor when you watch what they can do because you're not expecting them to be able to do it. And then they go out there and do those things. And, you know, Griner and a lot of amazing players out there in this league. So that was me. I was just kind of thrust to the fire, and I was pleasantly surprised. It took me a couple of games. And I was I was hooked. I was into it. I was watching yep. random Minnesota Seattle games because I knew they were good teams and had good players, and was watching that on the the WNBA app thing on the on the computer there. So that's that's one of the things. Yeah, just turn your blinders off. Don't expect NBA dunks and stuff like that. It's a different product, but it's definitely a really right. good product. Right, absolutely. And, and you know, I think if if you appreciate basketball, whether you played or coached or just 
gain an appreciation for it. I think, you know, the fact that they have to rely more on the floor game, on court fishing, on precision passing to be good, I think that actually makes the game a little bit, you know, the athleticism is a bit more muted in, in the women's game. So I think that's, I think that's kind of awesome just as like a basketball. I hate to sound snobby about it, but purist. Yeah. yeah. But what is it, um, Nate, just for the folks listening, what is it that got you into WNBA and going with Swish Appeal? Uh, Candace Parker. I, I, I saw, you know, I'd seen her in the all, but interestingly enough, I'd seen her in the, um, playing that All American game when she was in high school and she won that dunk contest. And so, uh, you know, I followed her kind of through, kind of lightly through college casually. And, uh, when she went to the league, I just thought she was going to blow it up. Obviously, she has not won a championship yet. Um, and then suddenly, you know, after I followed her into the league, it was just, a, I think it's similar to what you're saying. It was an adjustment. I, it's not like you have to, it's not NBA basketball, but I think right away you start to see the players like the Tarazis at that time, Kathy Pond, that she was still with the Mercury as well. Um, Penny Taylor, I love. I love Penny Taylor's game. And so you start to see that there's more and more players, and it's just a different brand of basketball, which means to me it's just a different way to enjoy the sport. Yeah, think, everyone uh, everyone brings up Penny Taylor, and I, I am the curse of Penny Taylor. I haven't got to watch her play meaningful basketball since I started covering the Mercury because she's oh, been really? yeah she's been oh, down and out that. since I took over the beat, which is every single person told me, wait till you see Penny Taylor on the court with Diana and the way that those guys play and how great Penny uh, is. I'm like, I have no idea. I don't know. She's, she's an amazing player, and I, I think... Um, yeah, I think at first you can kind of get caught up in trying to compare them to NBA players just to make it make help it make sense to you. Um, but I think uh, you know, so Penny Taylor at first I saw I was like, wow, this is like Grant Hill, I help you now. I shouldn't have said that, but you know, it's, <laughs> but, it's but it's it's still like you know, um, I think you you have to you have to learn to take it on its own merits. I think once you do, it's uh, it's hard not you know if you like basketball. Um, you know, I go to summer league. I've been to summer league the last two times. If that's what you do to occupy your summers to go to summer league or watch summer league, I can promise you that WNBA day in and day out has better basketball than summer league. So, and that's the great thing about the. I mean, I don't know if it works against the WNBA or for it because I'm not in every other market, but I know that the the Mercury generally draw in the neighborhood of five to eight thousand, depending on the opponent. Like you know, opening games and against you know the star quality players, they're getting close to like eight nine thousand in the game, but on average about five six seven thousand. But you know, it's it's in the summertime, so your your NBA is over every four years, or I should say every two years. You don't have to worry about the international basketball with the Worlds or the Olympics, and right. you don't really have to worry about the Worlds too much if you're just a USA fan because they're winning gold. They don't have to go through that a lot of the times, but yeah, I mean, it, you have it in the summertime. You they got games on ESPN now, which is great. They got more, and it's more consistent. And then right. I think the the subscription on WNBA.com is. It's it's criminal how it, how cheap it is. Like you can almost just go stand on the corner for five minutes with a can, and you'll have enough money to be able to pay for the subscription. It's it's amazingly inexpensive. So you know it's it's summer basketball, like you said. It's better than the summer league product, and it it's good basketball, but it's just different than that NBA quality product and the way that they do things with the athleticism. But they're both very quality products, and hopefully Adam Silver and those guys find a way better marketing better partnerships with the uh the the nba teams that they have attached to them something to kind of get more of a more of a vibe going i know the suns and the mercury work great together i can't speak for the other franchises but they're at each other's games they're promoting they're hanging out with each other those they do a great job working with each other and i it'd be nice it'd be great if that was with every other city and it started picking up even more yeah, I agree. And, you know, you're right. I mean, a lot of it is, is the sponsorship piece, is, you know, making sure it's more profitable. Um, I am interested to see what, you know, to see whether Maddie Johnson owning the Sparks now is, is going to help them 
get more attention in LA. Um, that'll be fun to see this year. Uh, but you know that you know that's just the Magic Johnson thing to me is for is an example of just the game is growing. People are taking notice. I think people are starting to take it more seriously. Um, definitely already within the NBA, but then definitely outside as well. I mean, just being on Twitter or uh, reading articles, reading who's covering it, where I mean, people are starting to notice that the brand is is maybe not what you thought it was in 1997. So, um, when like, it first came out. yeah. So, question for you. And this is just me throwing off the cuff random things out there, but so so Magic buys the Sparks, and yeah. I'm just going to throw out two random examples. So, do you think that stuff like that, as well as maybe Charles Barkley coming in as a face owner of the Mercury, or Justin Timberlake buying stock and stake in a Memphis team and they having expansion, or just stuff like that, do you think that that would end up being something that could really help this league and help the image? Because the NBA doesn't have celebrity owners; they just have billionaires. But do you think that that could help? Well, I think so. I think Magic Johnson in LA does help, and I think it's, it's not just being the face. I mean, that guy is so connected as a businessman. Um, he has there there will be so many opportunities for partnerships and bringing in sponsors, and he just brings instant credibility in a way that I don't think. Let's say you know Joe Lacob was the other guy in the running for the, the ownership there. I mean, yeah. Joe Lacob was obviously a great owner and has owned a women's basketball team before, but you know he's not Magic Johnson in LA. And so I think that's a very unique circumstance. Um, would it help for Charles Barkley to own a team and, or, or be a part owner in Phoenix? Uh, maybe. But I, I don't know if it, it would be quite the same as what uh, what Magic means to Los Angeles. Um, so, uh, you know, we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it could be just that he faced the, faced the background and no one hears from him. So we don't know what kind of owner he's going to be. Uh, but I have to imagine that part of his strategy, part of that team strategy will have to be playing putting him out in front and trying to get him to draw traditional basketball fans into the league. Definitely, yeah. It's it's like what the Mercury did with Ann Myers uh, when they brought her out there as they tried exactly. to use her. I mean, that that was more to draw, you know, women's basketball fans, obviously. Sure. But, yeah, I mean, you, you no, put a face. Name. I mean, you know who she is. Exactly, yeah. You put a face on something. And, and with Magic, I get what you're saying. Like, you peel, there's more layers. He's more than just a face. Right. He's more than just a personality that's been in L.A. for, you know, years and years and decades He's a guy that has business acumen, he has savvy, right. and he has some pull where he's at. So, yeah, I mean, I I just want the league to expand because it would be great to one day have, and I'm you know reaching for the moon and the stars here, but it'd be great to see 30 WNBA franchises, 30 NBA franchises, or maybe 31 NBA franchises so that we can get something back in Seattle because since they have a women's team out there too. Right. Um, but, yeah, it'd, it'd be great to see that and just have that partnership, that connection, see every summer five to eight to 9,000 fans in there watching the women's team and then turn around and you have the fans going in there watching the men's team, having that connection and better marketing. I don't think that that, that, that's not a bad thing for anybody at the end of the day. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I think right now, I I think um, what what I think is the important move for the league is that they do have a, although the numbers are coming up and down the last few years, they have a, a steady group of demographic of people they know will watch the game. And I think it's just being secure in that, building that, making those fans committed fans, diehards. And there, there's, as I'm sure you know from just reading your own post, I mean, there is a set of diehard WNBA fans that isn't going anywhere, that aren't going anywhere. So I, I think that in that case, uh, I think there was a push for a while to say, well, we need to get NBA fans to come. And now I think they're to a point where they need to just continue to build the brand, make team, make everything more profitable. And uh, try to work on thinking about how to get beyond 12 markets over time. 
Yeah, it's and, it's uh, a niche sport. It's it's like the Arena Football League. Don't try and go right. get the NFL fans. Go get your right. own fans. It's a niche sport. Yeah, not it's not a disrespectful word to call something a niche sport. It's just be great at what you do, and then eventually you'll end up drawing casual fans eventually. Right, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited for the season. I'm excited to see what Phoenix will do. Um, I'm excited to see what in Minnesota. No one ever seems to get excited about preseason, but then they win <laughs> championships. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, uh, Michael Cooper's back in the league in Atlanta, uh, which will be interesting to see how he does there with Angel McCautry. I mean, so there's there's a lot of reasons that I think watch the league right now. And, and the new the incoming class of Odyssey Sims with Snake Mumake, Alyssa Thomas, I think that new incoming rookie class with last year's class is going to be awesome too. And the talent's going to keep growing. I think the league's going to continue getting more attention that way. So before I before I let you throw out some plugs and and we'll talk real quick about the Sunday Warriors game uh, with the Suns and throw a prediction out there. If you're one of those like front running fans that just likes to watch greatness, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with, I love watching greatness too. When I'm watching basketball and it's Kevin Durant versus LeBron James, I'm gonna watch that over like you know Oral Roberts against you know Towson or something. So you know you want to watch greatness. The WNBA legitimately. I would say, barring maybe a few exceptions, each team has one legitimately really, really good to almost great player. And you're you're talking, like, as you mentioned, Angel McCautry. Yeah. You go from Tamika Catchings. You go uh, to the rookie class from last year, and I'm drawing blanks on the names, um, from the sky. Deladon. Yeah, Deladon from the sky, who's going to be an absolute stud. I mean, you know, Brittany Griner, Diana Taurasi. There's Sue Bird. There's stars on almost every team. You watch every single game, you're going to find at least one great player doing some great stuff out there. So that at the very minimum, you're going to get at least that when you turn on a WNBA game. So there's my marketing plug for the, the audience that's listening to this in Phoenix that's already going to Mercury games. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they're Phoenix fans. They're going already. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> let's um, let's jump real quick into it's Sunday is the game is yeah. going to happen. You guys are listening to this here on a Wednesday or you know later in the week. Sunday, the Warriors are hosting the Phoenix Suns, and yep. I don't think anyone's coming off a of back-to-back, so there's going to be a little bit of rest. Um, the Suns have done pretty well in the season series. It, they've been competitive, really good, entertaining games. How are you feeling with this game coming up after Goran? Yeah, I know he, he torched everybody last time, but this, this has been a pretty competitive, pretty fun series. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and look, it's, it's been competitive. I think what, what bothered me last time is uh, <laughs> watching someone score 122 points on you is just not enjoyable. Well, I mean, 34, carry the one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, you know, if he goes for 34 and 10 again, it will not be fun for Warriors fans. But, you know, I, I think the, here's the key with the Warriors. I mean, number one is, is who's going to be there on that day. Um, tonight we, we did have Tremaine O'Neal back after his passport incident uh, in Toronto. So, you know, if, if the Warriors are at full strength and the Warriors are, are – Here's the weird thing. They they get into these modes where I think they get a little bit loose with the ball. If they're at full strength and they're playing composed basketball, they're looking to go, they're looking to try to, to work all their different options, not just selling for jumpers, but making sure they're driving, kicking, getting Clay Thompson involved, and the bench can give anything. Uh, you know, the Warriors, I think, can beat just about anybody. Uh, with the Suns in, in that situation, I think they just, you know, defensively, they take nights off. And Goran goes to 34 and 10. So I mean, that's that's gonna happen. But uh, you know, I think the key is how well how well Clay Thompson is shooting. Uh, if they can get points out of Andre Iguodala, that makes a huge difference. And then you know, what are they gonna get out of Bogut um, in terms of uh, his ability to defending? He'll he'll get it. But if he can give any kind of points, 
that's going to make a difference. And I think Bogut last time was actually not at that game. Am I correct? I believe so. No, and yeah, yeah that's, he was that's... out. So I mean, Bogut's a bit of a difference maker there. I think defensively, in terms of just um, shutting some things down at the rim. Uh, so yeah, I mean, looking forward to it certainly. Here, here's what I look at when I look at this, and I pulled up different things while getting ready to talk to you mm-hmm. with the Warriors and. I, I'm not going to put you on the spot and make you be the Elias Sports Bureau, but if the there's one more game for Golden State against every single team in the division, um, they have already won the season series against Sacramento. But if they beat the Suns, they're two and two against them. You know, essentially that'll be a tie slash win for the season series. I don't know how they'll do the common opponents and points scored and blah blah blah. But if they beat the Clippers and if they beat the Lakers, they win the season series against the entire division. Yeah, individually against everybody. I don't know when the last time they've done that, but I think that's the biggest significance with this game is that Mark Jackson and the statisticians and all those guys that are on the coaching staff, they got to look at this and go, tiebreakers, playoffs, division winnings. We pretty much have to win this game against the Suns as much as it's a random Sunday game at the beginning of March. This is a really, really important game, I think, for them more than the Suns, but for both of them, if they're going to really think about maybe winning the division or tiebreakers in the playoffs. Yeah, I I think right now, what the Warriors need is, is, you know, it's not as bad as I'm making it sometimes, but it, <laughs> they need they, they need some they need some consistency. I think going to the playoffs and to build some confidence, they need to build confidence as a unit, you know. Um, and I think that's important right now. But uh, that's why I'm I'm less focused on. I guess like lately, it's like you know we can't even focus on individual opponents. I mean, they they might lose the Pistons, they might lose the Raptors, they might beat the Pacers, who they're currently. Uh, down to the last minute against, but you know, so it, it's kind of like we—it's kind of hard to figure this team out in terms of what's who's going to show up, uh, which makes it hard to preview any any game uh, days in advance. But yeah, I mean, they're, they're keeping the reason I circled the Suns in the next game after that they have the Mavs um, on Tuesday. So those two games with those two teams being seventh and eighth currently, um, those two games end up being really huge for this team uh, at home. Uh, where, where they struggled from the beginning of the year. So getting these two games, putting some space between them, and, and I mean, to be honest, the lottery, what is it right now? I think uh, Memphis is one and a half games behind the Warriors, uh, one game behind the Suns and Mavs. So uh, this this next week is just a big week for them. Yeah, it was it was nice of Denver to bow out of the playoff race and New Orleans to bow out of the playoff race. And Minnesota is still – Minnesota – yeah, Minnesota has no idea what they want to do, but it was really nice that those teams did it. But, you know, Memphis, calm down because you're you're putting a lot of pressure on the Dallas fans, the, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors fans, the Suns fans, because at first we thought you guys were all just asleep and it was just a three-team race to figure out who was going to be eighth, not who was going to be left out. And, and that's right. kind of what it's coming down to. It's, it's a three-team right. race and see who's going to get left out. Right. right. You, know, Memphis, you know, Memphis had some injury problems for a yeah. while. It's all been out, and they've, I, you know, checked today, they, they were... Uh, They've won seven of their last nine now. I mean, so they're they're on a little bit of a roll. Um, and that team is a team that has been a <laughs> real problem for the Warriors in the last few years. Um, so I mean, in terms of, I don't think I don't I can't remember if the Warriors have another game against them coming up. But it's yeah, they're a tough team. Uh, when they're when they're full strength again, they're a tough team. 
Yeah, Nick, like I said last week, Nick Kalathis has been the difference. You get him over from Greece, and all of a sudden you start winning games. <laughs> Nick Kalathis, draft superstar. He's he's the difference. A 2009 draft pick that's a top 10 yeah. rookie of the year candidate this year. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah there you go. <laughs> coming out of Florida. All right, man. Yeah. Well, I definitely appreciate the time. Go ahead and throw up uh, your, your Twitters or anything you got coming out on the websites. Go ahead and plug away. Sure. Um, so Twitter is uh, Nate P underscore SBN. Um, do Warriors. I do Warriors at uh, GoldenStateOfMind.com and uh, do WNBA uh, at uh, SwishAppeal.com and in WNBA right now. We're also doing women's college basketball there. Uh, so looking at the future draft picks for WNBA. Yeah. Uh, I was just watching and, uh, Duke, North Carolina last night. Yes. The game. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. That's called a basketball junkie when I just randomly floated out there that I was watching Duke, North Carolina women's basketball last night. There you go. All right, man. I appreciate having you on. When the playoffs come around, hopefully both teams are in there. Obviously, I'm not rooting against anyone, but I'm definitely rooting for these two teams because I I just like that style. I want to see them in there. So we'll we'll catch up when the playoffs come around. Definitely, man. Thanks for having me on. Once again, that's Nate Parham from Golden State of Mind slash Swish Appeal. Um, this was part one. If you want to flip it over to the B side, we're going to have part two with Amin Al Hassan of ESPN.com talking about, as Dave King inappropriately called it, Nerdapalooza. It's Dorkapalooza. Needs to get his branding right. Great stuff from Nate. That was part one. Flip it over to the B side. You'll have part two. Me, Dave, Amin talking very nerdy things, or at least Amin talking nerdy things, and uh, all things Suns related, whatever we can go over. Thanks for listening, and again, flip it over to the B-side for part two.